Welcome, everyone, to episode number nine of Polar Opposites. We're almost in the double digits. I'm Spencer Byers, alongside my co-host, Cajun Theru, Thanny Castle, and Cajun. Before I let you introduce yourself, before we get started last week, a little more of a somber start with the passings of Alex Collins and Rodiana Miroff. This week, something a little more positive. Of course, it has to be in the negative because when is anything positive happen just because positive thing needs to happen? But Kansas and Illinois head coaches. So Kansas being, of course, Bill Self with the Jayhawks and Illinois coach of the Illini in Brad Underwood have decided they're going to play exhibition game in October 29th uh, for their preseason going into the NCAA season for both the Jayhawks and the Illini. They're going to televise it and the proceeds from the game will go to the Maui wildfires over in um, Hawaii, because of course, wait now, Hawaii is on fire, as Canada was not too long ago over in the West Coast. Now, of course, the wildfires have, I'll say, spread, but are now over in the little island of Hawaii. And the Kansas Jayhawks and Illini have decided that they're going to televise their preseason game that was already going to happen, and that the proceeds will go to the wildfire help, which I got to be honest, Cajun, is quite impressive, and I hope more teams do it because not only will the fans get to see some pretty high-level basketball because, you know, Illinois and Kansas are two really good programs under two rather good coaches in Bill Self and, and Brad Underwood, respectively. So not only will they see great basketball, it also goes to a great cause in trying to help out the um, relief, across, I'll say across the pond, but in, in, the, in the nation of the U.S., I mean, Spencer, you said it best. Um, what a great, uh, what a great gesture here um, for a greater cause, like from Kansas and in Illinois. And mind you, why is it so significant between those two teams? It's because Bill Self left Illinois for Kansas like 20 years ago. Um, but the fact that the fact of the matter is, it's what happens during that game is insignificant. The fact that proceeds towards that game are going to the Maui Strong Strong Fund and what Hawaii has gone through with fire with fires ravaging the area, like it's just wonderful to see that there there's there's some good in the world in in a in a world that's been full of negativity like left and right yeah and you mentioned that negativity i do want to mention as we talk about this just just quickly that the wildfires have been running rampant on the island and has killed at least 111 people that they confirmed and there are hundreds if not thousands that are still unaccounted for so the death total could be a heck of a lot higher than anyone would want. So hopefully Kansas and Illinois can can make a dent and hopefully help out the aid of of the uh, Hawaii Community uh, Community Foundation Maui Strong Fund, as you mentioned, Cajun. And hopefully other teams take this and run. Hopefully other teams start televising their exhibition games so other programs can you know help out with this particular. Um, this particular foundation because i think it's a oh so it's definitely a worthy cause of course so hopefully they uh, other teams follow suit 
in both the men's and women's in fairness, because obviously the women's preseason is around the same time as their season starts exactly when the men's does just about. Mm-hmm. So, no, like it's, it's just, it's just wonderful to see. It definitely is great to see, but now we will move on to your regularly scheduled program and starting off with, I mentioned the women's NCAA season. Well, right now the, the WNBA season is in full effect. We're almost at the end. And something historic happened just days ago, if not just yesterday. Asia Wilson, arguably the best player in the WNBA, I think made a really big claim to it last night, had 53 points, tying the record for most by any player in a game against Atlanta last night against the Dream, winning her Aces 29th game, might I add, 112-100. And that's the other three points. And that's the other thing. And that's the other thing. Like that game was relatively close until like the second half. So they needed every one of those points. Yeah, yeah, they did cage. And not, and again, not only that, it almost gets them to 30 wins on the season, which is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Now watching, watching how she, Carved out that dream defense. Um, uh, which played like it was literally in a in a dream in La La Land. Um, no pun intended. Um, 16 to 23 from the field, 20 to 21 at the free throw line. That's impressive. To go to the free throw line and knock down 20 at 20 of 21 is just damn impressive. But there's just that one moment in that first quarter when Asia Wilson, not known, usually does her work on the inside and the mid-range, but not necessarily known for shooting threes. Knocks down a corner three without any hesitation. When I saw that, I'm like, oh boy, it's going to be one of those nights. And it turned out to be one of those, uh, and it turned out to be one of those nights. And when she was interviewed at the end of the game, just credited her teammates. And I'm like, we're we we take this for granted. We take great players for granted, whether it's the WNBA and the NBA, because Asia Wilson is is already a great all time player as it is, and could be one of the greats ever if this keep, if this keeps up. So we've talked about this before, Spencer, about how the game how women's basketball is rising not only at the WNBA level but also at the grassroots level down here in Toronto down here in Toronto and in Canada and the fact that we still we're talking about like positive stuff every week about women's basketball like it's a great sign of things to come and a great signs for thing currently and I know you and I keep talking about in the future one day maybe there'll be a Toronto team one day you know, maybe the the WNBA could have as many teams as the NBA. I think that might be a little little strong, but eventually the WNBA could have. I believe we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. They only have they have twelve teams. They have six per division, which they do. They could get up as high as ten per division, per conference at that point. You know, so we'll see how big the WNBA can get. You know, as the years go on, but currently the product is good as good as it's ever been. And it's going to continue to get better. 
as we talked mm. about with funding getting pushed to the, to the women's game, pushed, you know, girls to want to play basketball and having aspirations that this can work. And hopefully at one point, the WNBA will turn a profit, which will then mean the players are able to make a quote unquote livable wage, which they don't really do right now. Not only because their season's they rather don't. small, you know, it, it it just is not feasible right now. I hope it one day is feasible. Just as I hope it is for, I'll say men's, but women's lacrosse. I hope lacrosse one day can be a full-time job for guys, which right now it's not. I can tell you from personal experience, it's not. So I hope one day women's basketball, WNBA especially, and lacrosse, the NLL especially, I'll say, but even the summer guys, that they can get to a livable wage. Because I do want to bring light, and I won't bring, I won't spend too much time on lacrosse. Because again, I, I'm also a Fairweather fan at best. I, I just love it because I commentate it, and I've, I've enjoyed my time commentary in, in the press box, where I deserve to be, by the way, Cajun, as we all, as we all can admit. But for sure, you know, it, it, it's nice to see that you know we're striving and the product's getting better, which would mean when the product gets better and more teams are added. There'll be more money going towards it, more sponsorship money, higher TV deals because there's more games, because there's more teams. So hopefully the WNBA continues to grow as the NLL continues to grow for lacrosse, of course. But I do want to mention AJ Wilson, as we said, tied the record for 53 with Liz Carmouche. I believe how you pronounce that, but I'll quickly Le- run. Liz Cambridge? Cambridge, that's pardon me. Yes, Liz Carmouche, I believe, actually is a UFC fighter. So that's where I did make that mistake. And she is a female fighter, and she's really good, by the way. I believe Bellator champion currently. But anyway, uh, she did it in 2018. And I also do want to mention, Cajun, that with that 29th win, they tie for the most wins in a WNBA season with the 2014 Phoenix Mercury, who went 29-5 and in their 34-game season. So the Aces have a chance to surpass Phoenix as the winningest season ever in the WNBA. That's as amazing. I still have seven more games to go. So I'd almost put the lock, I guess I can, the lock guarantee that within the next seven games, they're not going to lose all seven. They're not going to go in a seven-game skid to end the year. They're going to break that record. Minus and minus uh, a million odds. Yeah, exactly. To, to yeah, get that win. Yeah, exactly. There's no money in betting that one, Cage, and I would definitely agree with you there. I mean, so, you could get a set or two. It's a profit. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you got a million to waste there, Cajun, I, I'm not sure I have it in my my coffer. So unless you want to share, Cajun, maybe maybe you can help out the cost. You say less. What's uh, my dad? No, if that was six months ago, yes. You had a million dollars six months ago? Are you, are you no. hiding something from me, Cajun? No, I meant me betting six months ago. Oh, that's right. Yes, and actually, I should mention that Cajun has now gone away from betting. He has finally, he has finally decided to stop making money and live the honest and earnest way. Yep. You uh, hey, some, sometimes you just outgrow things. Sometimes this is one of the things. things. And actually, yes, I do want to make sure I did get that right. It is Phoenix went 29 and five in a 34 game schedule back in 2014. And I believe if my math is now correct, that would mean, of course, with the 40 game season, the WNBA, the WNBA has right now, which I do believe is expanding soon. 
as close to next year, I want to say, or either it just expanded. My brain is trying to remember the articles I've I've skimmed through, and I believe it either said 48 game seasons coming, or it just got to 40, and I'm maybe conflating the two. But regardless, again, the season getting bigger also again helps Cajun because we kept talking about, you know, the TV deals get bigger, the more teams they add creates more games, which again adds to TV deals, which is usually where the bulk of bulk of the men's sports make their money it's not necessarily just sponsorships for the teams it's the tv deals at espn that fox that nbc that abc you know and then here in canada tsn sportsnet cbc etc shall i and i think and i think there's one other thing like that with all those tv deals tv tv deals potentially coming in an extended season and more pay more incentive for these women's ballers it also doesn't have to, they don't have to play overseas they don't have to necessarily play or pay over play overseas just to get just to get by just to make a living and that's crucial because with all the taxing that it goes on a body when you play that much basketball without any sort of rest careers get shortened so with all this, with, with in light of all this, like the fact that like eventually they don't have to play overseas just to make a living, that's going to be huge too. It will only add to the product on the floor, which everyone can get behind as we Absolutely. move closer and closer to the WNBA finals. Again, seven games left for the supposed best team in the WNBA, at least best record in the WNBA, and going to be the records holder for most wins in a season, the Las Vegas Aces. But now on to the World Cup of Basketball. FIBA, almost there, Cajun. One more sleep, and then bright and early at 9.30 tomorrow, again, Friday, August, or I guess tomorrow. I keep thinking today is Thursday, Cajun. Don't ask me why I keep thinking today's Thursday, but in my head, today's Thursday. Two days from now. So a sleep and a half, if you will, at 9.30 sharp on Friday, the 25th of August. Canada will take on France, a Victor Wembenyama-less France, but a France team that will kick off the World Cup for the Canadian squad. Who have gone 3-2 and two in their pre-tournament games, losing to the Americans and, upsettingly for me, to the DR, to the Dominican Republic. They did beat Spain which I think is an improvement. But I'm not sure that Dominican loss sits well with me, even though in fairness to Canada, they did sit their starters and did have a minute cap on everybody gearing up for the World Cup to begin on Friday. Hey, man. They were the, the Dominican Republic were led by the great Carl Anthony Downs. It's not... I don't want to hear that. There's no... I, <laughs> I don't, I don't, Cajun, how did I know you were going to go there with that? How did I know the first words out of your mouth are going to be about the, the, the man, the myth, the pylon, Carl Anthony Towns? Oh, man. Hey, in fairness, last week, you were the one that brought him up. This was just there for the yeah, take. And that was, and that was my mistake. Okay, Cajun, that was my mistake. <laughs> hey, man. Uh, uh, obviously, there were no really, no necessarily many implications there in terms of that game against the Dominican Republic on the steps of 
having an impressive win by that um by that against Team Spain. Um, obviously, you do want to win all your games, um, but hey, this is going to be interesting. They they have stepped. I've liked how Canada has stepped it up when the stakes are highest against the teams that they're that are at the top of their game that are at the top of their game. And for France, France is France is going to be a tough test coming off the bat, even without Wembenyama. You got Evan Fournier, Nicholas Batum, Raptor legend Nando DiColo. Um, and obviously, you can't forget about the stifle tower, Rudy Gobert, who apparently shoots threes now, or maybe won a game. But it's going to be – this is going to be a test right off the bat, and it's going to say a lot about this Canadian team. Um. They do arguably, you can arguably say that Canada does have one of the top five players of the FIBA World Cup in Shea Gilgis Alexander. And not only that, RJ Barrett has had some impressive moments in this in, in the lead up to the to the in the lead up to the free FIBA World Cup too. Um but this is going to have some big implication because whoever loses this, like, you got to win your next two games by far. Um, and sure, Latvia Latvia, and Lebanon aren't as strong, especially Latvia without Kristaps Porzingis in the picture there. But you got no, no margin for error if you lose. Like, whoever loses that game between Canada and France, they have no margin for error after that. So this one's going to have huge implications moving forward. And I think it's going to be the veterans that are going to be the X factor. Say someone like Kelly Olenek and Dwight Powell. Guys who have been there, done that. Now, in terms of like the NBA, in terms of like the NBA, not exactly the, not exactly household names. But they know what it's like to play on the FIBA World Cup station, and especially under that style of play. And that's really helped through in the, that's really helped everybody else catch up to speed in the lead-ups heading into this FIBA World Cup. So those two are gonna be big X factors in Canada going as far as it can go. No, definitely Kelly Olenek and the old head crew will definitely need to show these younger guys who have never really had the chance to play at an event like this or have chosen not to or, to be honest, haven't been old enough. Like Shea Gilgeous-Alexander, young player. R.J. Barrett, young player. These are guys who haven't ever had really the chance to play at this level for their respective country, of course, here in Canada. So... It's definitely going to be interesting to see again Friday, August 25th, two days from now or just about a full day away as we are recording this at almost 5 o'clock, almost supper time for me and all the, I'll say, white people. I'll say white people, Cajun, because I found some people eat really late, like eight, seven, eight o'clock at night. I don't know why. You know, I was always used to like by 6 o'clock, if I haven't eaten, I know I'm not eating tonight, you know? 
I'm get, I get a little confused myself, but maybe that's just me. That's Guilty just me. as charged. Oh God, when do you eat at kid? When do you, one time do you eat normally, Cajun? As a family, I'll say. But when did you normally eat as a kid? I would say 7:38. Jesus, Jizu, Jizu. I feel like that's early. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess I remember the one time your bedtime was Cajun. And do I do? Do we really have bedtimes? Not anymore. But we, when I was a kid, we did. So that's why we ate so early. Oh, well, I think, and then we just never got out of that habit. I mean, because I, I had, I usually had my, my, my dessert by like eight, nine o'clock. I had my ice cream or my ice cream sandwiches or, or cookies or whatever. Hmm. Whatever I get my little mucky hands on, Cajun. <laughs> little mucky hands, bro. Little, little mucky hands, you know? Uh, I went to sleep at around 10 30, 11 at the latest when I was a kid. Like the good. Y'all those, city the, folk. Y'all city folk. My God. And, th- and those are, and, and looking back right now, those were the good old days. Now I'd be lucky if I go to sleep at that time. Yeah. yeah. I, either because you're too old and fall asleep too early, or because you, you don't go to bed at one o'clock in the morning. Oh, I don't go to bed ever. Oh, exactly. There you go. You know what? Even better. Even better. <laughs> but now on to a list that I guess should have been slept on, Cajun. ESPN released their predictions for the Eastern Conference. Wins and losses, the records. Not only where they placed the teams, but their records. You and I are a little far away from that. We're not doing our lists until a little bit closer to the season. We know how injuries shake out. Because I think right now is a little too early. I think I I don't draft fantasy teams until like the week before the season starts. Because I want injuries to be sorted out. I want preseasons done. I want everybody good. You know, if somebody gets hurt in between when I draft my team and the season starts, then I just cry myself to sleep. But I usually try to wait as long as I can. Like my NFL team has not been drafted yet, will not be drafted until the absolute last moment because I don't want anyone getting injured before the season starts. And I get very upset, very upset. You're jo- are you joining that league? What I think you'll be joining? I think I'm already in the league you might be thinking of for the NFL. But regardless of that, regardless of that, to the ESPN list for the Eastern Conference. They have them labeled as contenders and then the bubble team, the, 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 the play-in group, and then the, the bottom five. So the contenders or the six teams in the automatic six playoff spots go as follow. The Boston Celtics are number one. The Milwaukee Bucks are number two. The Cleveland Cavaliers are number three. The Philadelphia 76ers are at four. The Miami Heat are at five. And in the last spot in the contenders list in the top six is the New York Knicks, which would imply a Cavaliers versus Knicks rematch of last year's. I can say last year's now because we're almost into this year's season, but of last year's first round where the Knicks upset Cleveland beating the the fourth seed as they were the fifth seed. So Cajun, just for the first six, do you agree or disagree with that list? Nah, nah, nah. Why, what are the Sixers doing on that list? I'm, and I'll be honest here, 46-win Sixer team without James Harden? I mean, I don't know. See, that, I do gotta agree. It seems a little high, especially with them believing that from the Knicks at six, the Celtics at one, there's going to be a nine-win difference at 55 wins for the number one place Celtics and 46 wins for both Miami and New York at five and six. And then the next team at seven has 41 wins. So they expect it to be a clear-cut East from six up. Yeah, it's not going to be. 
You think it's a lot closer? I, I, I do have to agree with that. I do have to agree um, I think the 47 and 35 for the Sixers is crazy enough fair. But there's a difference between a 47-35 team that's a contender and there's a di- and and a 47-35 team that's a pretender. Philadelphia is under the latter category. For obvious Especially, reasons, what I add. For obvious reasons, and we'll get to that um, by with the absence of a fellow uh, of a familiar southpaw bearded man. But um, yeah, like. Obviously, you still got Tobias Harris. You got Tyrese Maxey, who I know you love. I love too. Um, we take that. We will take that next step. Um, but after Embiid, Harris, and Tyrese, what like, where's the secondary scoring coming from? And they lost a lot of guys over that off season, over the off season. So I don't know. I disagree with. I think the Knicks are more contender than I. Th- I think the Knicks Knicks shouldn't be contenders, but I think they're more so contenders than the Sixers at this point. Um, now, a full season with the Knicks team as it is, I think having Josh Hart back in the fold is going to be huge. Divincenzo, that was a big signing for them. That Knicks team is going to be better than people think. I don't think they're going to be sixth, but like I said before. There's a difference between a contender and a pretender. I don't think Knicks are in that contender category. But in terms of like, and I feel like, is it just me or is the win total too low for some of these teams? Well, they have, again, the Celtics 55 wins being first and then the Milwaukee 54 wins being second. Last year, Boston had 57 wins in second and Milwaukee had 58 wins in first. So they're relatively close. The Cavs had 50 wins last year, 51 to be exact. The Sixers, though, will technically lose. If this is right and they win 47 games, they will have a net loss of seven wins as they had 54 and were a three seed last year. So mm-hmm. I don't necessarily disagree. Obviously, I think you and I know the top two are going to most likely be, especially with the way Philadelphia's fallen, Milwaukee and Boston. I think you and I can argue between the two. I still think Boston is the number one seed in the East. Well, will be the number one seed in the East. I think Milwaukee I don't think they, will, I don't will think not they, beat them. I don't think they'll be the number one I don't think they'll be the number one seed come regular season time because they have to inc- incorporate Porzingis into the mix and figure out what their point guard, how their point guard play is going to be. That being said, they are the better team between Boston and Milwaukee, but I think Milwaukee is going to take the regular season a little bit more serious than Boston. I, I also think it depends on Chris Middleton's, Chris Middleton's health. Again, he only played about 30 games last year. So if he's healthy for even 60 games, I think 80, 82 is eight, about 20 too many But I for his health. But I think 60 games of Chris Middleton will most likely propel Milwaukee over Boston. But I think if Middleton again only plays 30 games, I think they're going to they're gonna fall behind the Celtics in the East. But, but yet I they want to mention, go ahead. But they, yet they still finish first in the in the East in terms of the regular season. I'm just talking regular season. Yeah, they finished first in the East in terms of the regular season, even with Milton playing that. Yeah, playing think, around 30 teams. I just don't think they can duplicate it. I don't think it's a duplicatable feat. I don't personally. I don't think it's duplicatable. 
It's not, but I don't think Chris Middleton is going to play 30 games now with a healthy offseason in the works. You you definitely wouldn't think so. I also want to mention that, you know, maybe Brooke Lopez will also be able to, you know, continue his form with Giannis and, and Chris Middleton and even Drew Holiday. Um, but I do want to mention here, Miami, they believe is going to jump only two wins. They get into the top um, six seeds because, again, they were technically the eighth seed last year. They were the seventh seed in the conference, then lost the play-in games and became the eighth-seeded playoff team. But they were technically a seventh seed. So they jump up two spots to get to the fifth of the contenders, quote-unquote, list. Now let's jump over to the play-in teams. They think the Atlanta Hawks are that 41-41 and 41 team at seven. The Brooklyn Nets are eighth at 49-43. and 43. The Indiana Pacers are at 9, and Orlando the Magic are at 10, both at 38 and 44. 38 wins, 44 losses. So they again think the play-in is going to be filled with, instead of having two teams that are 500 or better, they're going to have one team that's 500, and the other three teams are below 500. Now, Brooklyn doesn't surprise me that they're going to be below 500. I don't even know if Brooklyn makes the playoffs. They might with Mikhail Bridges being talented and, and with all the trade pieces they got from the, the exodus of KD, Kyrie, and James Harden, respectively. But I think the Indiana Pacers are getting slept on right now. I talked about it last episode. I like I agree. the Indiana Pacers. I love their roster. I even like the Orlando Magic's roster with Franz Wagner leading the way, now playing for Germany this year right now with that, the World Cup. Had a great game against Canada in game one where they beat the Canadians. Out of mm-hmm. one of their one of their two losses, right out of out of the exhibition games, right? Like, you know, I, I think in fairness to no offense to Atlanta, who I all be honest, I don't think anyone really likes Atlanta's team. I think I I will be included in that 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 majority who does not like their roster. I love Dejounte Murray, I don't like their roster, and I'm not sure how it's going to look, especially without John Collins, who they traded earlier this off season. I just for a bag of peanuts. Look. Yeah, for, for exactly a bag of- for, for for a half a bag of Lay's ketchup chips americans will get that reference but if you if you can get across the border to sarnia windsor or niagara or if you're farther down the west coast and get over at one of the other borders try to get some ketchup chips as an import <laughs> they're delicious I, I i think ketchup chips are magnifique. but anyway cajun i'm not sure i like those play-in win totals i'm not sure the teams are gonna be very different like brooklyn might make it in as a 10 seed for me and you move up indiana and orlando but i don't think Three of the four teams are going to be below 500. I don't think that's going to happen. I, no, think, I, I think Indiana is a lot better than that. I don't know about Atlanta or Brooklyn. I think Orlando is even better than that. So I'm not completely agreeing, again, with the win totals. But again, I think it's really early to say where teams are going to finish in the divisions. That's why I'm so, so, so surprised this was on our lineup. I kind of got confused. I'm like, why the hell are they predicting teams already? Yeah, it doesn't make why? sense. It doesn't make sense this early. I think Atlanta is going to be over 500 um, with another year of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray for all of their flaws as a backcourt duo. They they still got they're still they're still two great basketball players. Brooklyn, I can very well see fall out of the playing picture. And yeah, Indiana. Go ahead. And I agree with you. Indiana is being slept on because people forget Indiana had a below 500 war record. I'm going to see what their record was. I have it right in front of me, Cajun. They were the 11th. They were the 11th team in the East. They were 35 and 47. 
But that comes with a caveat because Tyrese Halliburton was hurt for a little bit. And the record with Tyrese Halliburton in the lineup, I believe, was over 500. But, and again, Cajun, you're missing two ads they made this offseason. And one of them's your guy. One of them's my guy. Delano, oh wait, no, no, that was the Celtics. Yeah, that, that, no, don't, don't you dare say Delano abandoned to me. We're going to have a fist fight here in a second. I will drive to Scarborough. What, what, what if Bantam leads them to the title, though? Won't you? If Delano Benton's the guy leading the Celtics to the championship, Cajun, I will grovel at your feet. Hey, it's a win-win for both of us. Like I, your I, team wins it. Your team wins it all, and a Rexdale man and a Rexdale man led them to that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Led the led them. Yeah. Led the bench maybe. <laughs> but anyway, you're you're missing the two ads: Bruce Brown of the free agency variety and oh, the trade man. they made for Obi Toppin. Oh man, uh, BB Junior. Yeah, like your your guy Bruce Brown, my guy Obi Toppin, two guys that I think are going to make a big impact. And again, to think that those two ads alone, Cajun, Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, arguably the best sixth man in Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, who I think has untapped potential in that nasty, we talked about Thibodeau offense with um in New York. Revolting? But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, disgusting, revolting, you know, this ridiculous offense they run down there in New York that has optimized basically no one except for Jalen Brunson, buddy. Because Archie Barrett's also looked shaky in New York. Finally had a good playoff run and now has looked good at the World Cup. So hopefully he can, can propel that into a good, I want to say, fourth season. But it's getting, the years are mixing up in my head of where guys got drafted anymore. But anyway, 2019 was Barrett. So we'll be going into his fourth season. Damn, I'm yep. good, Agent guy. Damn, I'm good. Anyway. God damn. God damn. But anyway, <laughs> you know, like to think that Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin alone is ads without Benedict Mathurin taking a step forward, without their first round pick taking a step forward, that they're going to gain th- only three wins. That yeah, seems that's... a little disingenuous to me. Like, I think they that's... could gain uh, 10 wins. They go to a 45 win team. And behind like a great t- t- tactician and Rick Carlisle, too. Like a great coach. <sighs> How can we forget? We mentioned him last week, Rick Carlisle, like great coach. So I, I think Indiana is going to be a hell of a lot better than what ESPN's given him credit for. Hell of a lot better. I think I think they might get out of the play-in picture, crazy enough as that sounds. Well, if they win 45 games, Cage, and they're one game behind this predicted Heat and Knicks at six and five, at six and five respectively. So I, I agree with you. I'd have to agree. And now on to the bottom five, as they commented, or the five teams outside of the plan. And I do have to be honest, I think they're underrating another team in this list. I want to see if you agree with me. 11 is the Chicago Bulls at 37 and 45. Why the Bulls have not blown up their team, I don't know. They landed in the 10th spot of the play-in, so they'll lose three wins from last year's total of 37 wins projected compared to their 40 of last season. The Raptors are 12th at 36 and 46 which is a five-win swing downward. The Charlotte Hornets are 13. They finished 14th last year. Detroit finished 14, or 15th last year, only winning 17 games. They think they win nine more, but that's only to 26 and 56, so they land second last in the East. And then dead last at 15, losing a grand total of 11 games more than they did last year. The 27, or 24 and 58 Washington Bullets. Wait, sorry, wizards. I thought, I thought, I thought just, just for you old heads out there, like you, Cajun, you'd like that bullet reference. But yes, anyway. Sir. 
Now, I, I think the bottom five is probably right. I don't necessarily see any one of those teams making it into the play-in. Maybe Chicago, because they have the upside with Io DeSumo, you know, DeMar, DeMar DeFrozen, wait, DeRozan, and Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic, who had an absolute horrible year last year to Nikola Vucevic. But we'll see if the Bulls are able to make any ground up. I don't see it, and I think they blow it up not too far from now. I think they should. I think they already should have, but... I think they do blow it up relatively soon as that roster has not panned out the way they would have hoped under Coach Billy Donovan. But I think they're underrating the Pistons, Cajun. I think only nine more wins from last year is a little disingenuous for, those, for that Piston team. They're getting back Kate Cunningham, who basically was hurt all year. Jaden Ivey will be healthy again. Jalen Duren will be healthy again. They get a full season of James Wiseman, who had a great run with them since the trade deadline when they got him from Golden State. You know... I think that team, and I, they also drafted, I believe it was fourth overall. They got uh, Ansuer Thompson. I think Thompson's going to be great for him as a shooter. Like, I think that Piston team could shake some shake some heads. Like, I, I think with all the young guys getting better every year, you'd think, and continuing to add talent with the top five draft picks, you know, eventually they're going to find the right mix, and they're going to win some more games. No, I don't think they're a play-in team. I think that's a little too far from now. But I think... They could easily win 30 games and be closer to the play-in. Maybe not in it, but closer to it. I think 26 is well too low for a team that is missing arguably their best player in Kate Cunningham basically all last year. And Ivy's going to be, Ivy's going to be better than he was last season, which he are, which he was decent last season too. There's another year of James Wiseman being seasoned in in the Piston system. Yeah, got a full off but, season finally for the first time. Absolutely. Obviously, Oscar Thompson, um, Jalen Duren too. Um, you got Isaiah Stewart. You got some death pieces there, and then Boyan Bogdanovich still in the mix. Um, and under all that, you've got a no-nonsense coach like my, like a, and a motivator who's perfect for a roster like this in Monty Williams. Exactly. Um, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna give you. One more team that I think is underrated too because of the talent that they have right now. And I think with pains me to say this name because of what he did last offseason. But the Hornets played their best with Lamelo Ball Lamelo Ball and Miles Bridges were in the lineup together. That Hornets team has some talent. I think Ball's healthiness. I think Lamelo Ball being healthy right now is the biggest question. It is true. That is true. That is true. That is also a big factor when it comes to these projections. But they do have upside when balls if balls healthy. I think that record is too low, given the talent that they have. Yeah, and they got draft picks. Brandon Miller, obviously, at number at number. Uh, I believe he was number two overall, if I'm not mistaken. And Scoot Henderson went three to the Trailblazers. Yeah. Um, you've got James Naji, who also got drafted last year, or they, I guess just the, just the draft it just went. Um, they still have a young guy like T, uh, JT Thor, who's only 20 years young. You know, Leaky Black, who was on that uh, that that miracle run um, North Carolina team two years ago, who went to the the uh, final game. He only he is 24, so he's probably the oldest guy, but still he has that experience of going to a national championship. He'll bring some experience, even though he's never played in the NBA before. So he's kind of a finished product. And you mentioned LaMelo Ball. I want to mention another name, James Booknight. Booknight had a great year last year at a UConn. 
he was a surprise for a lot of people coming out of UConn for that Hornets team. So if they can find, again, the right mix, that's the problem with these young teams, the right mix, you know, you might be able to win more games than people think. And again, I don't think you and I are trying to say that the Hornets are going to make the, the, the play-in. The play-in is going to be a dogfight in the East. I think, I think from basically four down, I think the top four teams in the East are going to be pretty set with um, uh, Boston, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and then whoever comes out of if it's Philly or if it's Miami or if it's New York. I think one of those mm. teams will move themselves into that four spot and kind of sit themselves there, and it'll be a top four. And then I think five down is going to be a dogfight. Yep. Probably 12. And then once you get to 12, you're going to have, you know, the Washington Wizards who are going to be absolute garbage. You might have maybe Brooklyn might fall that far if if they can't find the right mix. Or, you know, maybe the Pistons get hurt again. Or maybe the Bulls do blow it up after 30 or 40 games. Like, you know, maybe the, the Raptors finally move, you know, uh, Siakam and, and or OG. And they kind of fall apart at the end. Like, you know, a lot of stuff can still happen. You know, where does Siakam go or OG go from the Raptors? Do the Bulls blow it up because they're not going to be a playoff team, most likely with DeRozan and Levine? You know, what do the Wizards do with their absolute awful-looking roster? Do the Nets try to make a move? Does Atlanta make another move after trading John Collins? You know, Lillard is still out there. Harden, most likely, I'd almost guarantee, is going to move from Philly within the next couple weeks, if not a month. Like, a lot of stuff. And maybe the Heat add. Maybe that's the Heat team goes to four because they add Lillard or add Harden somehow. Because, again, mm. they've been the team that's always been top player getting on the market, Cajun. That's where they're going, Miami. They're going to Miami every time. They're always one of the first three names out of it of if a top player is listed. So maybe yep. they finally make that swing and get Lillard. So a lot of stuff can still move, but that is the list from top to bottom. It, it goes Celtics, Bucks, Cavs, Sixers, Heat. Knicks top six, play in as Hawks, Nets, Pacers, Magic, and the bottom five being the Bulls, the Raptors, the Hornets, the Pistons, and of course the Washington Wizards. So Absolutely. well, I guess we'll see what the East will look like. You and I'll make our predictions in probably almost over a month's time, but in a while's time when you know the season is drawing nearer. But as you and I said, some underrated teams. Detroit Pistons, Charlotte Hornets, and I think especially big circle on the calendar, the Indiana Pacers. They're a very underrated team in this list, and they could easily make a jump into the top six of the, the Eastern only th- Conference. The only thing that will hold back the Pacers are injuries. That's yeah, exactly. the only thing. Yeah, e- exactly. Because, again, they're a really good-looking team. And, again, they had a top-10 pick this year, too. They got Jace Walker out of, out of, out of um, Houston, who's a really good player. And will make an impact on that team. How big, we don't know, but he'll make an impact. So they're only mm-hmm. getting better with adding Bruce Bennett and Obi Toppin, as we mentioned earlier. But now Absolutely. on to something we've been, we've been talking about for, I even mentioned it in, the, in, the, in just, just previous, just moments ago. It, seem, continues, it can, seems to continue to swirl cage. And James Harden, after, I'll say after the NBA investigation, the investigation still, still could be going on, to be honest, but... Officially, James Harden has been fined a hundred thousand big ones, hundred thousand dollars, by the NBA for his public trade demands, and indicating that he will not play for the Sixers unless he is traded. Oh, and it has concluded. So I, I am reading officially that it has been concluded, and they have fined him the hundred thousand dollars. That is the end of the uh, the investigation. So. 
I guess it just continues to get more murky, Cajun. And also the other the other thing is like the players' association is filing a grievance saying he didn't violate any rules. So they intend to fi- continue turning. Mm-hmm. And this was from yesterday night. Yes, the fine had just been handed out. Oh, I'd say mere hours ago, but about a day ago when they officially announced that Harden would be getting getting a, a $100,000 fine, which, you know, we talk about the fines in every sport, that they're not big enough, that they need to be bigger because of how much money the athletes make. I don't think, I, I'm not saying $100,000 is a lot to a guy who gets paid $30 million. I'm not trying to say that, but still, it's a, it's a big enough chunk of change where I'm pretty sure James Harden's going to kind of feel it in the checkbook this next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, will he, though? I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe he'll go to a restaurant and try to bring out his cash and go, ah, oh, we've paid my fine. Give me a minute. I mean, $100,000 for him is chump change. I mean, I mean like, that is for, uh, for, uh, for us, it'd be like, it'd be a four, it'd be somewhat of a fortune at this point, given that we live in Toronto. Um, but for him, it'd be chump change, and that's, I'm like, bruh. But, but go ahead. Yeah, it's just um, and it was in it was in light of like it was in light of the comments that he made calling Daryl Morey a liar and that he'll never play for the organization again. An organization that employs him again. Not only will he not play for the Sixers, he won't play for any organization that employs him again. And I don't think this is just a, like this is just not a Sixers problem at this point. Like now, like at. In light of those comments, this was never really a problem with the Sixers. It's personal with Maury. Yeah. So so say the Sixers fire Maury, and I don't think Harden has a problem with the Sixers no more, and we'll report to training camp. And I wonder how much the fine will be Cajun if he doesn't show up. Because if they've already fined him 100000 for saying, you know, for making that public, that decree that he'll never play for the Sixers again or an organization that employs Maury again specifically, that mm-hmm. – if he does sit out, say, training camp, or he does sit out, you know, I'll say preseason games, or the season's getting closer and closer and the Sixers are having trouble making James show up, will the NBA step in and find Harden, A, more money, or B, maybe suspend him, or what what they decide to do? Because right now it kind of feels like, and, and they, this is an NBA problem, this has been an NBA problem for years now, Cajun, it's just finally coming to a head, where the athletes have way too much power. And I'm not trying to say that as a guy who wants the owners to have all the power, I don't. I campaign for players every chance I get. I think the owners are greedy as anybody in, in all of sport, and they're going to be because they have all the money and all the power, because they have all the money. They're the one paying these guys. Because again, yeah. think about it. If James Harden's making thirty million bucks, how much is the guy that owns the Sixers making to pay him thirty million dollars to play basketball? Right? Like, just put that put that in your head. Think about it for a second. But anyway, you know, they do have too much power in saying that. You know, they can just basically say, oh, "I'm not playing for you. I don't care about my contract. I don't care. I'm not playing." You know, like James yeah. Harden at the end with, with the with the with the Houston Rockets. He he played for Houston, but you know, the memes were you know numerous. For how overweight he was, to his shape that he looked, how much he looked like he didn't care, you know? Like, athletes are basically mailing it in in the NBA because they can. They don't need to play. They can mail it in and get away with it. You know, maybe that's where the NBA can finally take their stand. And, you know, I, you know I've know, i standed so much I just can't stand no more. 
and finally, you know, put it in that the the players will not have as much power as they do now or used to have because it is getting ridiculous and it's continuing to, you know, c- c- cause problems, not just for the Sixers, but for all NBA teams trying to get guys to, I'll say, commit to, to teams, but even play for them. You know, mm-hmm. it's getting it's getting ridiculous. And Harden is right now just the most recent example of athletes having just a little bit too much power in saying where they're going to play, when they're going to play, and how much they're going to play. It's, it's getting a little ridiculous, Cage. Well, I guess it's been getting a little, little ridiculous. It's just going over that line of, you know, we can stand it, we can stand it. I think it's getting to that point where no, we, lo- no, we can no longer ignore the issue. And I think that's the problem when you give a certain a certain like either players or owners too much power because we've seen it in the MLB with with the owners with the owners and Rob Manfred I know unrelated to basketball but we've seen how that and we've seen how that's unfolded in the opposite with the MLB with the NBA there's like yeah players got to players got to figure out what like got to look out for themselves because at the end of the day like you're a lot of these guys are disposable in the in the NBA, but it's gone too far to the point where it's like, okay, this is too much. Like, like, like it's gone to the point where like, like when when a certain when a certain side has too much power, it doesn't end well. And with the James Harden situation, we're seeing exactly that. Yeah, it it just continues to snowball, you know. With and I, and again, I'm I'm trying to implore to everyone, and I know Cajun agrees with this. That K, James is not the only one. James Harden is not the only guy that's done this. He will not be the last guy to do this unless the NBA stops it now, because other athletes in every sport, but specifically basketball, in the, in the last five to ten years, this happens a lot. Like, how much money do you want to bet that Damian Lillard? We'll basically never play again for, for for um, Portland. You know, like I'd almost be willing to bet a hundred dollars right now that Jamie Litter will most likely never play another game for the Portland Trailblazers. And if he does, they will be pretty lackluster minutes. If I had to be honest, mm-hmm. because he look he's wanting to get traded. How do you get traded faster? You play like garbage because then your value goes down, which then means the team that's trading for you has to offer less uh, offer less capital. And the team you're tra- team you're on can ask for less because if the player's playing bad, then you can't ask for high a high premium. Yeah. Even for what they've done previously, so that's just the thing, and it will continue to snowball until the NBA says, okay, that's enough. You know, we're done with this player power garbage where you guys can basically play whenever play, play whenever you want and sit how many how sit out out as many games as you want. Like, Cajun, you know how bad the quote-unquote load management got in the NBA? They had to place a rule where you could only sit out home games. That's how bad mm-hmm. it got. That play, people were buying tickets to see Kawhi Leonard play in Milwaukee, play in Boston, play in L.A., and he'd sit out away games. He'd just say, I don't want to play. You know, my foot hurts, my leg hurts, whatever, and not play. And I know I'm picking on Kawhi there because he's kind of the 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 poster boy for, if you will, for the load management, you know. But other athletes have done it, and other basketball players especially have done it. 
Joel Embiid, another good example, who honestly needs it because of how injury-prone he is. But regardless, you know, in spite of the injury-proneness, you know, as a fan, why would I want to go to a game when the best players that are on the team are not going to play? What is the what's the incentive? Like, KJ, you know how mad I would be if I went to Boston again? I'm a Celtics fan. I am not a Raptors fan. Don't pretend to be one. If I went to Boston to go see the Celtics play at TD Garden and I showed and, up and two hours before the game, I heard that Tatum and Jalen Brown are both sitting for load management. You know how mad I would be that I spent all this money to go see them play in Boston at the Garden? And they both sit out because of load management. Like, what a slap in the face. It I'd really still get is. To see my favorite player, Time Lord. I would still get to see my boy, Robert Williams. But would you really? With how injury prone he is sometimes? With how injury really? prone he is? Yes, exactly. But he doesn't sit out, does he? I've never really heard of load no, management for, for him. Normally, he gets sit out because he's hurt. His ankle's tweaked, or his foot's hurting, or his knees are hurting, or he's got a shoulder problem. Like, in fairness to Robert Williams, he doesn't get to load management because he's always hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, what What a slap in the face. Like, Cajun, you know, we're in Toronto. You want to go see the Raptors play, you go see Raptors play, you know, Pascal Siakam's load management, you know, OG sitting out tonight. Like, what a slap in the face. Like, what a slap in the face of the fan. You know, why am I paying my hard-earned money to go see you play if you're going to sit out games when I'm trying to see you play? Yeah. Like, what an absolute joke. So, hopefully the NBA will eventually stop it. I'm not saying they're going to stop it with Harden. I honestly don't think they're going to. But I'm hoping someday soon they finally put their foot down and say enough is enough. Enough is enough. We're not letting this happen anymore. And I'm hoping that they ears closer with this fine. I'm hoping that day is a little bit closer today than it was just yesterday or closer from yesterday as it was the day before is my hope. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because, again, as we're as you and I are fans, there's nothing worse than wanting to go see your favorite team play and your quote-unquote favorite player not being on the floor or the ice or the field. Nothing worse. Because then what's, what's the enjoyment? It's basically gone. And for, like, a reason aside from injury. Yeah, or family-related, you know, if it's something health yeah. or, or marriage or whatever, you know, or if— they go on. I'll say Matt leave. They they get the they get the registered leave for you know if a baby is coming, you know unless yeah. it's a I'll say quote unquote valid reason just to sit out because ooh you know I'm tired or I'm sore. No offense, you're a professional athlete. Like at the end of the day, you know you're gonna get tired, you're gonna get sore. But the fans are paying to watch you play. And honestly, like maybe these new rules, like playing in sixty games max, like. Like minimum to for for you to be eligible for all NBA or for like awards, maybe that's a step in the right direction. But a lot a lot more has got to be done. Exactly. There's still a lot of big stones that are gonna have to be rolled to get the uh, to get the I think the players to finally kind of buck up and play at a I'll say a more consistent level, more consistent level. But talking about consistency, Steph Curry has recently come out. And said that he believes he's the greatest point guard ever. Mm-hmm. And as I couldn't seem to find the article occasion, I finally take a look and finally find the gander. I f- finally found it. Curry said, and it looks like in an interview, 
He said, he is the greatest point guard ever. And Cage, I'm not going to say I think he's wrong, but there's a lot of really good point guards that have played in the NBA. A lot of really good ones, including him, might I add. But normally guys try to wait out saying they're the best until they're retired. Curry didn't. Curry's still an athlete, active athlete, is supposedly going to play at least a few more seasons you'd expect. And now I think he's going to have a target on his back as well. Of course, he already does. MVP, multi-time champion, finals MVP. He's done it all in the NBA. But I think saying you're the greatest point guard ever is going to put a little bit more of a target on your back. Especially, you know, with, I'm not going to say that the fans, but with the, with the athletes especially. But Cage, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask you the question. Do you agree with Stephen Curry? Do you agree that Mr. Del Curry's son is the best player, or the best point guard, pardon me, to ever play in the NBA? All right, so since I like Govy names, yeah, Wardell, Wardell Stephen Curry Jr. 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 Uh, Jr. Uh, no reference to Jr. Smith, uh, my favorite player of all time. If you want to know why, don't. It's a stupid reason. <laughs> of, course, of course it is. Of course it is. Anyway, continue. Um, he's not the greatest point guard ever, but, but. I love the confidence. I love the confidence, and the fact that this is a debate speaks to how great of a point guard he is. By the end of his career, maybe you have that conversation about him being the greatest point guard ever, and he does have the accolades to sort of argue with it. He's got four rings, the greatest shooter of all shooter of all time. He's 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 finally that that Finals MVP that that has eluded him for so long. He finally got that. He finally got that two seasons ago. He now it's a the, unanimous MVP, doesn't he, Cajun? Sorry to interrupt you. He does. He does. And also, and it would. He also. It also. It, it would. It would have been. Shaq would have been on that list had some idiotic reporter not uh, had not put Allen Iverson on that list as num- as first. But I digress. Um, but. I don't think he's the greatest point guard ever yet. I think that honor goes to Magic Johnson. And literally, like, as I was skimming through articles, Michael Jordan literally texted Steve Naismith, according to Steve Naismith, that's according to Steve Naismith, saying that Magic is the best point guard ever. Um, yeah, and I do agree. But that is his era, though. So I, I no offense to Michael Jordan, arguably the best pl- uh, best player ever, period. You know, he did play with Magic uh, during the Dream Team. He did play against Magic, you know, before that. So, you know, I- I'm not really sure he gets a ch- he gets a chance to play because he never played against Steph Curry. He never saw, you know, he never was on the floor with that greatness. He was on the floor with a different type of greatness. But continue. Like personally, I still think Magic's better than Curry, but that might not be for long. I don't think what he said was far fetched. I don't think he said what, what he said was far fetched at all. Because if he's not number one, he he like there's a lot of great point guards in this league, but Curry's one one of the greatest. You can have an argument that he could be second on that list. So, 
it's not a far I love the confidence and it's not as far fetched as you think it is. And in terms of like point guards, because I've heard this, like, is Steph Curry really a point guard with how with the warrior style of play that he does? And Magic Magic's a more natural point guard. Well, they also play two different roles. Magic was a more natural point guard, but he was also six foot eight playing alongside alongside like I know he wasn't exactly in his prime, but he was still a heck of a basketball player in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy. Steph Curry, I know he played with KD for a bit, but like the fact that like it's just I I I don't I have no problems with him saying that. I have no problems with him saying that because the fact that people are debating about people are debating about it in terms of like their roles in terms of like the accolades and the fact that Kerr like and the fact that it's not as far-fetched as people think it is like with all the accolades Curry has so far and he's still got time to like overtake magic like what if he gets that fifth ring then this argument becomes a lot closer it might be splitting hairs at that point so right now i think magic's better but the gap, but the margin of the margin between those two players is not as big as people think it is. And I think what what this what what this sort of reminds me of was when LeBron said, like, I think you remember this when he came back from down three one. It's like that right there made me the greatest player of all time, which I thought that was far fetched at that time. At that time, saying that. Now, if he said that right now, I'm like, that's not as far-fetched because, like, he's got more accolades right now. But at the time, like, what LeBron said was, like, yeah, coming back from 3-1 all time, like, that's never happened. But it was still too early to say that. Now that Curry's, like, somewhat close in terms of rings and the fact that he's already become the greatest shooter of all time and that he, and mind you, he made other players emulate. He made the future generation of NBA players emulate him. He really changed. He pretty much changed the game, and wasn't blessed with athletic talents as say LeBron, Kobe, MJ. He wasn't blessed with those talents. So, in due time, he could pass Magic. I don't think this is as far fetched. I don't agree with it yet. But I don't have a problem with what he said. To explain resumes, Magic Johnson, a listed 6'9 point guard. Steph Curry, a listed 6'2 point guard. At this point in time, Steph Curry has nine all-star game appearances. Magic Johnson has 12. Magic Johnson has 10 all-NBA appearances. Steph Curry has nine. Two MVPs for Steph Curry, three MVPs for Magic Johnson. Three finals MVPs for Magic Johnson, only one for Steph Curry, but he does have the four championship rings. So, so it's like it's, Magic you know, does have the edge. Magic does have the edge to me. But Curry's close. And I do also want to say this. In fairness to Magic Johnson, he did lose he did lose four seasons. Well, I'll say four, but 
I'll explain. He lost four seasons and then played 32 games of his last season in 95-96 because of his diagnosis with HIV. So he retired basically at 31. Mm. He only played 11 years in the NBA. And nine of those 11, or actually I'll say 12, he played 12 years, and nine of those, or 11, nine of those 12 years, he averaged 10 or more assists. Mm-hmm. So excluding his age 36 season, where he only played 32 games, did not play point guard, and was still a good player, but was not as okay. good as he was, obviously, when he was, you know, five years younger and in his prime. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that also needs to be taken into account that him losing so much time to being diagnosed with HIV also does take away from, I'll say his legacy, but takes away from what he could have done. Right. What he could have, what he could have been even more, what he could have accomplished, what he could have done, what, you know, what accolades he would have if he was able to play a healthier, healthier career. Right. So Mm -hmm. we'll never, we'll never know what magic could have been without the diagnosis. We'll never know. We will never know. Mm -hmm. But I also, Cajun, you mentioned it, it nailed it right on the head for me. And I guess we can say the same thing with Steph Curry and the injuries. The injuries early in his career also delayed his, his, um, his ascension to the best player, arguably, in the NBA. Mm. But I do want to mention this because I think it's very important. I feel like people always seem to skim over it when we talk about who's the greatest player or, or best this, best that in any sport. What these two guys do. At the point guard position, they couldn't be more different. Yeah. They could not be more different. Like Magic Johnson, as I said, for nine consecutive seasons from age 23 to age 31, averaged 10 or more assists per game. His lowest total was at 23. His fourth season in the NBA, he averaged 10.5 assists per game. I believe he led the league with 10 and a half assists per game. At mm-hmm. age 31, he averaged 12.5 assists per game. Again, 10.5 was his lowest. 13.1 the next season at age 24 was his highest assists per game. So 13 assists per game was his highest career average at point guard. Steph Curry, on the other hand, looking at his total career, his highest was 8.5 assists, which is really good. But that was when he was 25 and only averaged 24 points a game. His lowest assist total would have been his age 30 season back in 2018-19, where he averaged 5.2 assists per game. Mm. And then I'll just mention this again, and I know I'm mentioning a lot of numbers, so try to stick with me. Magic Johnson's highest career points per game, highest career points per game, was 28, 23.9 when he was 27 in, in, in 1986, 87. So basically 24 points per game. Steph Curry, 32 a night. He only did that for five games. So most over a real season, but back in 2015, 16, he averaged 30 a game, which led the league. Shooting 50, 45% from three. Yes, I did say that right. 45% from three. 
He averaged 32 points per game in 2020-2021. That was only for five games. Or wait, no. No, I, I did mislabel that. I did. I did mislabel that. That was the year before he only played five games. So I was right. It was thirty-two games, thirty-two a game back just a few seasons ago, was his highest total. And that, from a three-point percentage, was a forty-two percent from three. So Which all of those numbers coming at you, all of that is just to say these two guys do not play the same game. They should not really be compared. Yes, you can play, compare resumes, but they're not the same player. They're different guys. So. I hate these types of conversations, and I know, you know, we will probably do them as as this series goes on because a they're easy talking points, and and there are arguments you can make for either side, but I hate them because it takes away the individuality of every athlete because these guys are not the same athlete, they're not the same player, they never were, they never were meant to be. Steph and they played in different, is, and they played in different eras too. Adding again another layer to the whole point of back in the eighties. They didn't shoot threes. The great, the greatest three-point shooter then was Larry Bird. He never shot more than, I think, five a game. And I'll quickly check to actually see his greatest three-pointing feet attempts per game. You know, a different game. And not mm-hmm. only that, Cajun. We talk about different eras and different games. And again, the listed difference in height is a seven inches in favor of Magic Johnson. Again, listed 6'9 compared to 6'2 for, for Steph Curry. Another wrinkle. Yep. To add into it, no offense to Magic Johnson, when he was a player, point guards wanted to be Magic, but you had to be 6'9 to be Magic. You got to be tall and long and do all these extra things to be Magic. Kids now all want to be Steph Curry. Even when the big guys want to be Steph Curry. Carl Anthony Towns wants to be Steph Curry, as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> like, that's where the game is gone. Everybody's shooting threes. Everyone wants that their toes behind the line. Nobody wants to take that long two. Nobody. Mm-hmm. It is seen as the quote-unquote most e- inefficient shot in all of basketball, no matter what level you're playing at. Gone are the days. Where, gone, are, gone are the days where guys like Chris Weber and Kevin. And I think Kevin Garnett's a big one that thrived off of the long two. Gone are those guys. And in fairness, so did Kobe. Yeah. Kobe Bryant was a great, you know, long two shooter. You know, that is gone. Like Kobe now would be forced to shoot behind the three-point line. Forced to. Like it or not. And now here, for a fact, Cajun, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson came into the NBA the same year after the NCAA tournament. The most threes Larry Bird ever took in a season per game average was 3.3 3.3 threes a game. And that was in his second last season as a Boston Celtic. Steph Damn. Curry, lowest three-point three-pointers attempt in a season was 4.6 in his second year in the NBA when it still was not okay to shoot threes. But since he since 2012-2013, which was his fourth season in the NBA, he has shot no less than 7.7 threes per game, his highest being the year when he scored 32, averaged 32 a game at 12.7 threes a game. That's ridiculous. That would be a team's total threes back in the 80s. And Their I, teams and teams I, would be a total. And I, and I would, and I would argue during that year too, you said Larry Birds was like 4.6? 3.3. 3.3. That's a Curry's, game. 
Curry's average makes during that season is more than his than more than Larry Bird's most attempts. That's wild to think about. Yeah, like Larry Bird averaged one made three a game. He averaged 0.7 makes from three a game. One of the best three point shooters to ever play the game of basketball averaged 0.7 threes made per game. Think about Man. it. Like that, the, we, we aren't even comparing the same type of game that they play now to then. They're not comparable. They're not the same thing. They're not even close. So I yeah. do not like these arguments. I will sit and bang the table as long as I live to that argument because I think it's stupid and will always think it's stupid. Even if I am a hypocrite and do it myself, which we are doing right now, I'm okay with that. Because it is ridiculous to compare Magic Johnson to Steph Curry in almost any way except for resume of what they've done in the NBA. Like the 10 All-NBA teams for Magic compared to 9 for Steph Curry. Or the 3 Finals MVPs for Magic compared to the 1 for Steph Curry. You know, I'm okay with that. Those are resumes. You can compare resumes to anybody. And honestly, and, and it's only like, and I don't like comparing players. And I don't like comparing, comparing players for the most part. Especially when they're from different eras. Like, only reason like where why it's like sort of doable in this case is because of their resumes. And because but Curry said it them, himself. When the athlete says it himself, it's a little different than when some guy on television says it, whoever they may be, former athlete or not. But when those two could not it, and that's fair, but those guys could not, could, could not have played any more different than they are. Now, if say if nobody made this argument, say somebody, you compare somebody to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. They both played similar styles. Then that's a little bit more doable, but for Magic and Steph, how can you like you can't really make a comparison between those two? Maybe you can like put them in the portal and see what what happens, but that's that's virtual reality, folks. That's fantasy. Like what I do, what I will appreciate is that those are two great point guards. Those are two great point guards. You could argue they could be consensus one and two. Yeah. The, that's the, that's the only thing you could kind of see it. That's the only thing that people can sort of agree on to the uh, to that degree, unless um, Mad Max just mentions Bob Cousy out of out of, out of nowhere, which wouldn't would not surprise me. But Magic and Steph are de- like are consensus one and two. And I want to mention, Cage, because I interrupt you, is NBC's article that I looked at to to prove to me that Steph Curry said these things, is it said that the three top, the three guys in the conversation for best point guard ever are Magic and Curry and Oscar Robertson is the third wheel to those two. And honestly, I agree with that. And then there was this, the second tier of elite guards, which he, which this guy lists, and he, he says I, so I will say this guy lists as Jerry West, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, Troy Pistons, Isaiah Thomas, and Steve Nash with Paul, Chris Paul as that second tier of point guard. And yeah, I see that. I, and I'm not necessarily saying he's wrong or right on either, because, again, I don't like comparing Jerry West to Steve Nash. Jesus, come on now. They played for like 40 years apart. That's ridiculous. There's no point even trying. There's no point even but trying. In t- but in terms of putting them in tiers of point guards, that's a different story. Exactly. Because you're comparing resumes, you're comparing things they have done, comparatively speaking to the actual players on the floor. Like, when you're building a team around Magic Johnson compared to Steph Curry, 
you're not you're not trying to build teams that are comparable. You're not. They're different teams with different criteria that have different goals because of just the way you'd build the team. Mm-hmm. So I really dislike, very much dislike the, the media that's not going to like the, the the national media, the vast majority of media that are going to take this and send it, you know, to a million percent overused and have this argument circulating how the season starts about who's better, this or that, resumes and all that garbage. I because it's it gets to the point where it's just nauseating because again, you're comparing a guy who's six nine, who got you know the touch of height compared to a guy who everyone feels like they can compare to and as i was mentioning with steph curry everyone emulates now everyone wants to be steph curry everyone wants to shoot threes you cannot watch a aau game or a high school game or a college game where there's not a a ridiculous amount of threes for good or worse for better or for worse in my opinion at like the really youth level for worse but it's the way the game's gone now every kid wants to shoot threes all of them every last one of them so that's the way the game's going and it will continue to go that way cage it, it's only going to get worse from here i'll say but mm. depending on side of the fence around it'll only get worse from here with the way the bat with the way basketball as a whole is going yeah but to end us off as we've gone a little long again this week but again we've had quite a few topics this week in the rumor mill to end her off, the New York Knicks, who are, again, projected to be sixth in the Eastern Conference by ESPN, have cited the Toronto Raptors and are suing them and a former employee, saying that this former employee gave the Toronto Raptors proprietary information, and they're suing the Raptors for illegally procured and then disclosed proprietary information. So they're suing the Raptors for having in they're, they're suing the Raptors for having information that they should not have, having, quote-unquote, thousands of confidential files, including play frequency reports, a prep book for the 2022-23 season, video scouting fi- files, opposition research, and more after the team began recruiting him to join their organization in summer 2023. That was the Raptors trying to recruit this unnamed um, member of the former Knicks brass. And actually, I do have his name. I am not going to pronounce it because it is a name that is definitely from the continent of Africa. And I have not the first idea how I'd even attempt it. Have you read it? Can you want to guess it, Kate, and go right ahead? Aikichoku Azotan. That might not be that might not be the right pronunciation, but it's spelled I K E. C H U K W U, and then the last name that the last name is A Z O T A M. And he worked from the next from 2020 to 2023. And as as we've stated with this summer of 2023, when the Raptors were attempting to get him onto the team, he released all these alleged files to the Raptors. And you know, I'm not saying this is a closed and shut case because we still have to wait, obviously, for the court proceedings to happen down in New York. Because again, they're the ones citing the Raptors with the with the with the suit. We'll see if it's true, and if it is true, I think this will continue the fall of Masai Ujiri. And I I'm not trying to intimate or even guess the Raptors are guilty. I'm not. I truly believe in innocent until proven guilty, and we'll see if the Raptors are proven guilty in a court of law. 
But, but, Masayu Jiri's reputation is already starting to fall with the Raptors not doing so well and seemingly holding on to Siakam and, and OG for literally no reason, just about, because they're not going to be competitive next year from anyone's guess, unless they shock everybody with 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 uh, new head coach Darko Rajakovic. Mm. You know? So if this report comes to be true, it's just going to add to the Raptors' falling reputation in the NBA, I think. Nah, you're right. It would. It would. But do I see it being just smoke, just all smoke right now? For now, yes. Because this is a pretty big accusation to make. It's very difficult proving stuff like this. And um, like, and I was looking at, I was uh, skimming through some articles, like there have been anonymous team employees who were surveyed about this, like with the Knicks alleging the Raptors gaining a competitive advantage at nine separate points in their complaint. They, all of them found this to be a bit of a stretch. And one in team employee said, and this is from any sort of team, like in the most adva- advantageous possible case, a Zotum's alleged activity could be used to speed up the employee's personal work. Um, but unless the employee transitioned during the playoffs from one team to the opponent, there is no, there is no real benefit. Sharing synergy videos is the equivalent to liking something on Twitter. Now, synergy is like a software that I'm guessing like teams use, but it's available to every team in the league and with other people who pay for access to the software and synergies that commonly used tool throughout the NBA. So if that's what they're, if that's what the Knicks are going along with, I think it's just like smoke. But if, but if this is true, if this is true, you would have to think that's the end of the line for your jury and Webster. Cause how can you come back from that? You can't. But I'm also feeling a whole bunch of different reactions. Like, I just find it a bit her- hilarious. It's like, is this James Dolan's way of getting back at Masai Ujiri for fleecing him in the Bargnani deal? Or for being scared in the for being scared of trading for Lowry back in 2013-14? Like, hey, like, there could be pettiness behind this. There could be a whole bunch of things behind this. Like, it's an ongoing situation, and... I'm I'm interested to see how this unfolds, especially since these are like these are two Atlantic two teams in the Atlantic Division too. So this there's greater implication in in terms of like those two teams, given that they're in the same division. Yeah, and I do want to mention this case, and I want you to kind of go off this because this is quite a damning quote in the lawsuit. So, and I quote: "So th- this was the article, and then I'll give you the quotes." So the Knicks are also alleged that that members of the Raptors, so members of the Raptors, quote-unquote, so, quote, directed Azumtem to misuse his access to the Knicks subscription to Synergy Sports to create then transfer to the Raptors' defendants 
over 3,000 files consisting of film information and data. The alleged number is 3,358 video files. And the stolen okay. files were accessed over 2,000 times by the Raptors. That's all quote. Like, that seems rather damning about the Raptors, that it was accessed over 2,000 times. It is damning. It is damning, but it just, like, but over 2,000 times? Like, how stupid can an organization be in doing that, though? It just makes you wonder, like, unless there's lax rules behind it, like, or it's just not, it just hasn't gone unchecked. Like, that's the part I find hard to believe. Like, going past, going over 2,000 times, you would think it'd be red flagged at some sort, at some sort of point. And it, and what's more telling is that out of the unnamed defendants in that lawsuit from the Raptors, only head coach Darko Rajagovic was named in that, but not Masai. And I found that and I found that sort of interesting. Yeah, it definitely is interesting because if it is Darko, how quickly could he be fired? We've seen this in the past where coaches get themselves in hot water and get basically canned almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And if that is the case, Cajun, who are the Raptors' as backup? Like, and I don't mean that as in he is he is guilty, but imagine he is. Does that mean they have to scramble for Jordy Fernandez, current Canadian national team head coach? Does that mean they go after, you know, somebody else maybe from Europe as they were looking at, for, you know, throughout their process? They took forever to name their guy in Darko Rajakovic. Mm-hmm. You know, and if this comes out as he's that he and the Raptors are guilty and he does end up losing his job over it. I mean, this again, it could only get worse, you'd think, from here, unless the Raptors are proven innocent, which then would basically make the make the Knicks look like a horrible organization, which I feel like most people under James the James Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks, I don't think they can get much worse than where they are now, which is where everyone thinks one of them. Yeah. So I guess we'll see, Cajun, if they're able to get away with this. But the Scrabble board, which I have now gotten at least a name, I've been kind of living on the back burner because not a whole lot of stuff's happened where there's new names I can throw at you, Cajun. Not a whole lot of stuff where there's like, you know, like last week where the first Orthodox Jewish player could make the NBA. There's not been a whole lot of stuff. You know, a lot of Anthony Edwards, Magic Johnson, Steph Curry, AJ Wilson— you know, James Harden, a lot of stuff where there are names you've already done. And I believe you've done this name before, but I'm trying to get it out. It's a lot of letters. So I think you've, I think you've already got an idea of who it is. Okay. So I'm just going to try it by looking at the name and guessing how I'm going to mix this up, okay? All right. How many names? It's just one. It's just going to be okay. the one that All I right. got. So we're going to go T. K T T K okay T K U M A E N O Somebody says wait 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 before you finish it is this Giannis Antetokounmpo It is the big big Greek freak Giannis Antetokounmpo I believe I've done Giannis before, and his name is rather simple if you know how to spell it or you know the letters that contain it. But the reason why he was on the 
NBA, I'll say for you, page, but in the NBA stratosphere, is because we don't know if he's playing for Greece this year at the FIBA World Cup. I don't think he is. He's not. He, you know, has, I believe, said he, he, he announced that he will not be playing in August because he has not been able to uh, be, he's not physically on the plane to take the floor for Team Greece. So without Giannis Antetokounmpo not playing for Greece this year, that really dampens their chances at the tournament. They do have his two younger or two two brothers, I believe. They, uh, they is it? How do you pronounce it? I know it's, I know it's Constas Antetokounmpo, who is the Costas. younger brother. Costas, yeah. No, I think it's Alex. Costas Antetokounmpo, and then the one that plays for the Bucks. That's kind of a meme. Oh. The Nasus. The Nasus Antetokounmpo is also going. So two Antetokounmpo's will be on the team. The third one will not be in Giannis. But without Giannis, I'm not sure if this Greece team can do really anything at the tournament. They might make it out of the group stage, but nothing more than that. I mean, they're in the group with the with New Zealand, Jor- uh, Jordan, and the United States. So that also uh, leaves them very little room for error as the Americans were 5-0 and in their exhibition play including beating spain and germany mm-hmm. so i guess we will see so that makes you from the document 26 for 27 cajun 25 for 26 i already changed it oh 25 for 26 making you 96.1 percent on the scrabble board and and a running joke that we've had for for the entirety of now, almost yeah i'm not the raptors you are not the Raptors. Not the Raptors. Not yet, at least. You're not the Raptors. Even if I miss the next, I'd have to miss. I'd have to mess up the next 24 Scrabble boards for for that to be the case. Well, let's see if I can make it a little harder as the weeks grow longer and the season nears closer. But with Giannis Antetokounmpo, that will be it here for us from Polar Opposites for Cajun. one more thing. One more thing. One more thing. August 23rd August 23rd is a very big day. Happy 45th heavenly birthday Kobe Bryant. To the Blake Kobe Bryant RIP to a legend of basketball. Good way to end it Cajun. But for Cajun Thiru Thani Castellum. I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode number 9 of Polar Opposites. We'll see you next week same time, same place here on the Outrage. Later.